Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Well, I'm excited to teach on Isaiah 55. Um, it addresses a subject that is very important for us to hear and is not spoken a message that is not sounded very often in this world. But there is a gnawing sense of emptiness and dissatisfaction and meaninglessness in the world apart from God. Um, the actor uh, Brad Pitt, who I'm sure most all of you have heard of, said, Man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success, but if that's the case... Why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence, isolation, desperation, and loneliness? I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Uh, someone has said we enjoy a higher standard of living than 99.4% of all the 80 billion people who have ever lived and yet, we are not content. Billy Graham once said, People in America have become so empty that they can't even entertain themselves. They have to pay other people to amuse them, to make them laugh, to try to make them feel warm and happy and comfortable for a few minutes, to try to lose that awful, frightening, hollow feeling, that terrible, dreaded feeling of being lost and alone. Back in, in my generation, there was a song that was written uh, in the late 60s by uh, a guy named Ed Ames. And he came out with a song called Who Will Answer, which was hugely popular at the time. And it, it addressed the same emptiness in people's hearts. Side by side, two people stand, together vowing, hand in hand, that love's embedded in their hearts. But soon an empty feeling starts to overwhelm their hollow lives. And when they seek the hows and whys, who will answer? There was, love seems like the answer to everything. You know, getting married, starting a family, two people standing there together hand in hand. Love seems like the answer to everything, but then it isn't. High up on a lonely ledge, a figure teeters near the edge and jeering crowds collect below to egg him on with go man go. But who will ask what led him to his private day of doom? And who will answer? How much pain does it take to person take to lead a person to kill themselves? It takes a lot. And a lot of people have a lot of inner pain that stops short of suicide. There's just a lot, a lot of pain, inner pain in people's lives. If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? People find darkness and fears in their minds. Who will answer? And again, soon an empty feeling starts to overwhelm their hollow lives. Who will answer? Well, the Lord himself declares in Isaiah 55 that he is the answer to the cry of the human heart. God declares in this chapter that He is the answer to the cry of your heart. Isaiah 55 is an invitation for your desires to be 
satisfied. An invitation to find real and lasting pleasure. Verse 1, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And this is really more than just a, a, an invitation. It's, it's, it's a command and it's an urgent plea. Uh, in the New American Standard and King James Version, it, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Some translations put it, Hey there, or hey you, give me your attention. God is saying, I have something really important to say to you. I offer satisfaction for your thirsts. You know, the most basic need that we have is for water. And if you went a whole day without having anything to drink, I mean, you would be desperate for water. If you went several days without water, there would be nothing in the world that you wanted more than water. Water would suddenly become the greatest treasure that you could imagine or think of that you could ever want. And so Isaiah proclaims, if you want to know what God is like, God is like a fountain of cool water to a desperately thirsty person. And so Isaiah is telling us there is satisfaction for the deepest desires of your heart, for your longings, for all that you cry out for within you. There is satisfaction for all of that in God. God has nothing against you experiencing pleasure. Nothing against you finding satisfaction. In fact, just the opposite is true. He is begging you. He is urgently pleading with you to come and find satisfaction, to find pleasure. But he says it is in him. Isaiah 55 is a declaration that God is to be experienced. You know, God is to be experienced just as much as a drink of water or a glass of milk. God is not just a subject or to be studied. He's, he's a person, a being to be experienced. That's why, that's why David said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, God is to be experienced in a satisfying way. He is food to your soul. That's what verse 3 says. Come to me that your soul may live. Now, it's interesting in this passage, God is, is, is seeking to communicate to you, to me. He's seeking to, to communicate to our innermost being what it is that he really offers us. And the Lord describes himself by using the most satisfying, the richest, the most nourishing, the most, the most joy-producing things in this life and says, this is what I offer you. Come. And he uses milk, water, wine, the richest of foods to create in our heart this, this sense that satisfaction, this kind of satisfaction is available to us in God. I would like to think of, uh, of Isaiah 55 as the Old Testament version of John 6.35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from Within him. So here in Isaiah 55, water, milk, and wine represent the basic needs of our heart. Water represents our need for refreshment. 
Water refreshes us when we're thirsty. It satisfies our thirst. And so God is saying, I am like water. I refresh your soul. God revives your soul. He restores your soul. Milk represents our need for nourishment. You know, it's a, milk is an amazing thing. Uh, milk contains all the nutrients needed to turn a newborn baby into a healthy growing child. And God is saying to us, I am like milk to you. I am nourishing. I am life-giving. Everything about God creates growth and health in our life and our heart and our souls. And then wine represents our need for joy. Uh, In the Bible, wine was brought out for times of feasting and weddings and happy celebration. Uh, Psalm 104.15 says, wine gladdens the heart of man. John Piper, uh, in his message on, or commentary in this passage, said, Wine cor- corresponds to the need for exhilaration. We want to live and not die. We want to be strong and stable instead of weak and wavering. But that is not all we need in this life. No matter how stoic, unemotional, phlegmatic, laid back, or poker faced we may seem to others, there is a child inside every one of us. That God made for exhilaration. For shouting, for singing, for dancing, for playing, for skipping and running and jumping and laughing. End of quote. So God is saying to you this morning, I offer you refreshment, nourishment, exhilaration or joy. He says this offer is made to all who is thirsty. The only qualification is that you thirst, that you recognize your thirst, that you recognize your need for this. You don't have to be any certain type of person. You don't don't have to have your life all together. Now, this was written to people who were broken. This was written to people who were in captivity, captivity in Babylon. This was written to people who had failed miserably spiritually. They had been through a period of rebellion against the Lord their God. And they had been, so to speak, in a desert spiritually. And yet God comes to them and he says, Ho, come to me. You, all you who thirst, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So God emphasizes that there is no cost for this satisfaction that we find in Him. God emphasizes that there's no price tag on it for His water, for His wine, for His milk. It is free. And it's just such a, such a, such a contrary thought to our normal way of thinking. I mean, nothing, nothing in this life is free. I mean, you or somebody has to pay for it. I mean, you can't go get pizza on Friday night without money. You can't put gas in your car without money. You can't buy a cup of coffee without money. Yet, here is this remarkable offer. All that you could ever want in life, all of your satisfaction, all of your thirsts and hungers met for free. It excludes no one. You know, almost, almost every pleasure in this life is excluded or excludes someone Because of its price tag. I mean, there's just certain things that every one of us in here can't do because of the price tag on it. But here God says, there is no price tag. There's no requirement that you have any resources 
of any kind. You know, I, I love reading uh, church history, and I'm reading a book called The History of Protestantism. And, uh, you know, during the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church uh, just siphoned the money from people. I mean, it just drained the money from people by selling indulgences. You know, if you pay so much money for this, then this sin can be forgiven and you can escape so many years in purgatory. And people poured their riches, everything they had, into the coffers of the church in order to purchase these indulgences. But you cannot buy forgiveness. You cannot buy God. You cannot buy this satisfaction. Isaiah proclaims he is free. And if when we studied Isaiah 53 a few weeks ago, Isaiah told us that all we need from God has already been paid for by the sufferings of Christ. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We can't do anything. We, we, can't, we can't pay any sort of price for it. There is only one thing that is necessary, and that is to thirst. That is to want it, to come, to buy, to eat. You know, we could very easily regard this chapter only as an invitation for those who do not know Christ, and it certainly is. I mean, this if someone does not know Christ, has never come into a relationship with Christ and does not know Him personally, I mean, this is, this is an invitation. Come and drink of Christ and be, be satisfied. But it is, it is a message for God's people too. Because any one of us, if we begin to pursue our satisfactions outside of God, we will find the same empty, hollow feelings that plague the world without Christ. Verse 2 says, Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I mean, and I love those phrases. I mean, the world offers to us bread that is not bread. It's like false bread or fake bread. Bread that is not bread. Bread that cannot satisfy. I mean, the world is like a con artist. It's like a smooth-talking guy on an info infomercial that gets you to buy something uh, that tells you, you know, you, you can have uh, great-looking abs in two weeks if you purchase this piece of equipment. You know, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a lying... Used car salesman. And I don't think all used... I mean, you, there's great used car salesmen out there. But, I mean, it's like a lying salesperson offering you something that really isn't there. And we continually need to be reminded that mountains of money, the perfect wife, the perfect husband, kids, grandkids, the dream job, fame and love, a happy home even and an abundance of all the things that you could ever possibly want, still will leave you with an aching emptiness that only God can satisfy. And the answer is not to become ascetics. The answer is not to abandon our homes and families and wander in the desert with no possessions or check into a monastery, as many did throughout the centuries. But we do need to see clearly that satisfaction is found only in God. The things in the world do not satisfy the longings of your soul. And they should not be pursued with an abandonment as if they did. 
Our thirst, whether we recognize it or not, can only be satisfied by Christ, by his salvation, by his presence, by his life, by his, the daily refreshing of his spirit, by his fullness, by his unfailing love and companionship. So Isaiah asks, why do you spend money on that which does not bring real satisfaction? And that question is, is really meant to make us do a little self-analysis. Isaiah, in a sense, is saying, why are you not a smarter shopper? Why do you go after the wrong things and ignore the things that will satisfy the deepest longings and desires of your soul? Why do you keep getting duped by the world? You know, there's a, uh, a Christian songwriter named Kelly Willard who wrote a very unusual Christian song. I mean, this is like, you, won't, you don't hear Christian songs written like this. And the title of the song is called Lover of the World. In it, she says that, that people in the, in the church so often, um, or what they talk about, what people in the church talk about reveals that they're, they are really going after their satisfaction in the world just like people out in the world do. And the words go, did you go to Kenny's concert? Can you dig my brand new car? Have you been to Jason's lately? Don't you want to meet a star? Have you seen the hottest movie? What's your favorite top ten song? Well, it seems that's all a mirror. It looks to me like something's wrong. Lover of the world. You're the enemy of God. Whatever you treasure will someday rule your heart. Pretty bold song. Pretty bold song. But it just addresses the issue that sometimes... We are just pursuing the same things that the world is for our satisfaction and sometimes don't even, don't even realize it. Nothing inherently wrong with a brand new car or going to a concert. It's not the point. But the issue is what is your heart attached to? What is your heart looking to? What are you going after to bring satisfaction and fulfillment to you? Is it God or is it the world? Is it Water that will satisfy you, or is it bread that is not bread? Well, the solution to all this is found in verse 2. Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. May I be so bold as to say this verse is your answer to everything. It is. God says, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. You know, feast on the Lord and your soul will delight on the richest of fare, the richest of food. And if that verse is true, what more could you ask for? I mean, there's so much out there that is clamoring for your attention. But God says, listen to me, sort through all of that and eat what is good. Uh, that phrase, the richest affair means, literally means fatness or abundance or the best. Some translations uh, translate it the finest food. God is saying, I have food for you that is, that is really fantastic. Uh, not food that you can just barely choke down, but food that will 
delight you. You know, after Cindy shared her testimony last night, uh, she and Sherry went out for a bite to eat, and they brought me back this uh, clam chowder from Outback Steakhouse and some mussels and garlic butter to drip. I mean, it was rich, fantastic food. And God says, that's what I am like to you. That's what I want to be like to you. I want to bring you this fantastic spread of rich, wonderful food. Come to me and get this. You know, um, two or three times a week, we try to do uh, a vegetable juicer. And I put carrots, celery, cucumbers in this juicer and turn out this drink. You know, and I'm sure it is really nourishing. But man, I, I, I mean, I get no satisfaction out of drinking that. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's just, just, it is just drink it down, force it down, and tell yourself, hey, that's got to, that must be really good for you, because that's the only reason you're drinking this. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of like the opposite of that. And then, uh, the, between, the opposite of that is on Monday night. Every Monday night, we have a set meal. My, if, I could tell you what my menu is every day of the week. I mean, I, I eat the same thing for breakfast, same thing, every, Popcorn Sunday night, etc. But on Monday night, we have something that we've done for years. I go. I don't care if it's zero or a, a blizzard out. I go outdoors and get the charcoal going, and I gr- I grill one grass-fed steak, which we share. Cindy makes guacamole. We get chips, we grate some cheese on it, put it in the oven, warm them up just a bit. We have guacamole chips and a grass-fed steak, and it, and I look forward to that. I mean, that's like rich. Good, good, fantastic food. And, you know, God is just is saying that I would like to be that to you, the, the richest of foods for you. Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of foods. Verse 3 says, Give ear, listen to me, hear me that your soul may live. Come and listen to God and you will have life and you will enjoy his covenant blessings. You know, it's a great day when you really begin to believe that the basic needs of your heart and soul are found in God. You know, when you really believe that, not just that that's just not just a theory um, or something that you know you should believe. It's really a great day when you begin to believe that the basic needs of your heart and soul are found in God. When you find that Christ is himself, fellowship with Christ, knowing Christ, trusting Christ, enjoying his presence and his spirit within you. When you find that Christ himself is water, milk, wine, bread to your soul. Verse 3 ends, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. not going to spend a lot of time on this, but basically this is saying, if you will come to me, I will give you the same faithful covenant love that I promised to my servant David, to King David. And that comes to us through the son of David, Jesus Christ. All right, I want to move on to some applications this morning. And I, I put all of these in a form of a question. First one, am I paying attention to this invitation? God is speaking to you this morning just as, as much as he was to his people Israel. And he's saying to you, 
Hey there. If you thirst, come to me and drink. Come to me and be satisfied. Turn to me, seek me, become absorbed with me, and you will be satisfied. So I want to ask you this morning, how seriously do you take this offer? You know, it's so easy to hear uh, how wonderful God is and, and to even experience that on some level and then you, to just turn, turn, turn away and go back home and start reciting your problems, to, to start go, to, to telling everybody how bad things are, how horrible things are, who somebody, how this person did that to you, this person did that to you. You've got, you know, complaints about your body, complaints about your situation, your work, your life, your health, everything. And it's like, where is Jesus? Where is this God who satisfies every longing that you could ever have? Where is this God who satisfies your soul with the richest of foods? So I just ask you this morning, am I really paying attention to this invitation? Do I really believe it's a real invitation? Do I accept that this is a real offer for me? Not just for somebody else, but for me. Do I really believe that I can really truly find satisfaction and, and deep abiding pleasure in God? Second application. Have I truly made a decision to change the fountain from which I drink? You know, being a Christian is turning from drinking, it's, it's turning from drinking at the world's fountain to, to begin to drink from God's fountain. And really, salvation is an offer to come and be satisfied from a different fountain from which you have been drinking. I was interested that Jason quoted uh, Jeremiah 2.13. I had that in my message. My people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and number two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In other words, instead of turning to God for living water, God is saying they, they commit two sins. One, they turn away from me, the fountain of living water, and then they go try to create their own well, try to dig their own well that would bring their own satisfaction. They try to find their own source, their own water source, their own source of satisfaction. And if you, pardon me just for a minute, I'm going to say something about not just real life church, but the church in general. One of the main problems in the American church today is that it does not ask people to change their appetites. It does not ask people to change the fountain from which they drink. It doesn't challenge or call people to change the cistern, as Jeremiah puts it, from which they drink. It doesn't challenge, challenge people to stop going madly after the world for their pleasures and satisfaction and to go after God and to turn to God for their pleasures and satisfaction. Well, God does ask for a change of appetites or a change of diet or a change of drink, if you will. From water and bread that cannot and does not satisfy to living water that does satisfy. Uh, Number three, application. Is my life actually 
organized around satisfying my thirsts in God. You know, uh, people who think that pleasures will be found in travel organize their life around travel. And, you know, this is not a condemnation of travel. I love to travel, but, you know, I know that my, the needs of my soul are not met there. But people who, th- who think that, who, people who think that, the, that, that pleasures will be found in travel organize their life around travel. People who think that their, their true fulfillment will be found in sports and entertainment organize their life around sports and entertainment. People who think fulfillment will ulti- ultimately be found in family. This is a shocker. But people who think that fulfillment will ulti- ultimately be found in family organize their life around family. You, you center your life around what you think will satisfy you. And again, this is not, uh, not some statement about a, a negative, being negative on families or even sports. I, I'm not, not talking about there. Please understand me. But these are not where the, the thirsts of our souls are satisfied. These are not where true and lasting happiness, pleasure, and satisfaction are around. And so again, I ask the question, is my life actually organized or centered around satisfying my thirsts in God? And you do become absorbed with, you focus on, you turn to that which you believe will give you the most happiness, satisfaction, and lasting pleasure. But God says, only, only, if you become absorbed with me, and focus on me, and turn to me, and come to me, only then will you be satisfied. Number four, application. What do I do when I feel discouraged or down or am having a bad day? What do I do when I feel discouraged or down or am having a bad day? If God is the answer to everything, if God is the satisfier of our lives and souls, if He is true bread, if He is living water, wine, milk, everything that we need, then the thing to do is to turn to God. Talk to Him. Seek Him in His Word. Open your Bible. Read a psalm. Uh, Remind yourself that He is the one who is able to quench this ache in your soul. That He is the one who is able to come to your aid, to your need. Don't flip on the TV to distract you from your emptiness. Again, I'm not saying don't ever watch TV, okay? I'm just saying don't turn to the TV or flip it on to distract you from your emptiness and your troubles. Don't first call a friend or even your spouse. Don't go to the refrigerator to satisfy the hungers of your soul. Don't count on chips and a Coke to lift you out of the pit. You know, go to God, get lifted out of the pit, then have your Coke and chips. You know, in some ways, the most basic question of this life is, to whom or to what do you turn to relieve the thirst and the hollowness of life? And I trust that from this announcement, this message from God in Isaiah 55, that you would begin to turn to God as the satisfier of the deepest longings and needs, the empty, to, to meet the needs of, that you have of emptiness, loneliness, 
in your heart. And even if you don't know fully how to do that, that you just turn your life in that direction and say, I'm going to learn that. I'm going to learn to do that. I'm going to go there. I'm going to head in that direction. I know, I know this is where the answer is. This is what I'm really craving for. All right, and then I want to end with, with three things that will, that will mark your life or that will um, be evidenced in your life if you know God as the satisfier of your soul. Number one, if you know God as the satisfier of your soul, then you can cope with the ups and downs of life's circumstances. You can cope with losses and still maintain joy. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, any and every situation, whether I am well-fed or hungry, whether I am living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And if you know God, if you know Christ in that way, if you know Christ as the strength of your life, as the satisfier of your heart and soul, then and really only then can you really begin to cope with the ups and downs of life's circumstances. And life is always going up and down. Life is always on this roller coaster. And, you know, sometimes I say to Cindy, I want to get off the roller coaster. But you can't. I mean, that's life. Circumstances go up and down. But when you, when you know God as water, milk, wine, bread, satisfier of your soul, then you, then you can deal with that. You can do all things. You can do all things. You can handle hunger or having being well-fed, living in plenty, or living in need. Number two, if God is the satisfier of your soul, you will lose your restlessness and instead will exhibit a quietness and peace about your life. Jesus said, He who drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. I love that. Uh, I, I, I know in one sense as believers we, we continue to, to thirst and hunger off after God, but, but yet when we, when we really know, when we've come and drunk from Jesus, when we have come, came and drank the living water that He gives us, it's like the search is over. You, that we will never thirst again. We know, if we do in any way, we know where the, our thirst will be, will be met. They're met in Jesus. So when we have found God as a satisfier of our soul. There's there's a sense that 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 desperate search for something new and different or for things to change, it's over. Your your life is going one direction now because you know. You know where your needs are met. You know where to go. You know how to be satisfied. You know, uh, as an old song says, that only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only He can make you whole. And then third, if God is satisfier, and you really believe that, you will love to center your life around Him and His things. You know, turning to God is not a bad thing. It's not... It's not a this sober, sad, uh, religious, dry thing to do. 
I mean, if you understand that God is satisfier of your soul, turning to God won't be any harder than going to the refrigerator when you're starved. Amen? Did anybody get that analogy? I mean, you know, honestly, when I wake up in the night and go sit in my easy chair and open up my Bible, it's not like, it's not like I'm beating myself or forcing myself to do that. Man, I, that's, that's where my soul is satisfied. I want that. I love that. And when we see God as a satisfier of our soul, we will, we will love, you will love to center your life around him and his things. There's a verse in the Old Testament uh, where David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And you know, that's a pretty good test of if you've really found God as your satisfier. If you've really decided, yes, I know where to go for satisfaction. If you found God as the one who meets the needs of your life, then like David, you'll say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Not like, oh no, oh boy, I suppose we better. No. I mean, God God is, is this incredibly wonderful, um, pleasure-producing, satisfying being. And we just need to discover that more fully and totally. And when we do that, we will love to come to Him and drink. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this invitation that you've given us. Uh, Lord, there is so much emptiness in the world. There is so much emptiness in our hearts apart from you. Um, There's aches. There's uh, loneliness. There's sadness. There's sorrows. There's hungers. um, And yet you come and, and just offer us this incredible invitation to to satisfy our thirst, Lord. And we love you for it. Thank you so much, God. We, We ask you to open the eyes of our heart to more fully understand how to live in this and walk in this and to enjoy you and to enjoy and to enjoy the pleasure of of knowing you and walking with you. Thank you so much for making this all totally possible and only possible through Jesus Christ, our Savior our Lord, who became poor. He was impoverished, stricken, beaten, wounded for our transgressions. So, as it says in Romans 8, that we might become rich, so that we might come and partake of these richest of foods, pleasure and satisfaction in knowing you. God, I pray for every person here today that you would send us home with uh, a new revelation, a deeper revelation of the beauty the satisfaction, the enjoyment of knowing you and walking with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.